We are really glad you're here. Um, some of you who go on the web and do things like that, you might have noticed we actually have no website right now. So the fact that some of you have found your way here is pretty amazing, which is great. We, our website got hacked a little while back and um, all these different challenges. But we are glad you are here. Um, really simply, we're going to give a couple announcements before that just to let you know who we are as a church at The Village uh, our mission, the reason we exist, just in a nutshell, is we want to transform our communities um, and, and in a way to become att- attending, connecting, and serving followers of Jesus. And what we mean by transforming our communities, obviously we talk about right here what happens like at church, whatever church means. But we also mean believe what that means is as God is bringing together a wide diversity of people together. And this is, this is uh, beautiful. I mean, I love it. You should stand up here sometime from my vantage point. It's great because um, just people from all different walks of life, uh, God has been bringing um, a diversity, obviously, ethnically, class, socioeconomics, uh, cultures, exp- life experience, generational, all of these different things. We believe that's much more than just kind of like a nice magazine cover. Oh, look how it's not that it's a, it's a mission thing, because what that means is a lot more people are represented in this room than even sit right here. So our goal as a church then is whatever community you might represent by the uniqueness of who you are right now, our hope is that you have the message of Jesus just penetrate your life. You start walking with Christ. You are like, oh my goodness, I never knew God was that good. And as he makes a difference in your life, we're sending you back to whoever you're from. Whoever your, your family is, your friends, your neighbors, your workplace, your school, your dorm, your, the p- folks you hang with, we're sending you back there to make a difference for Jesus. So we get excited about what God is doing here. Really glad you're here. A couple of things to help along that journey. A few announcements. One, oh, next Sunday, we've got intro to partnership. Next slide, guys. We've got intro to partnership. Um, basically, what this will be is a two-hour, probably less than that, a time when we give a, a general introduction of who we are as the village, expounding on some of what I just said. And we encourage you to come to that. We provide lunch. So if you are interested in coming, uh, let us know through a connection card or you can email us just so we can get, make sure to have enough food. Um, but we go over basically the, the essentials of who we are as a church. I personally believe this is a really good thing, even if you're brand spanking new at the church, because... Um, you don't want to waste your time. You want to know if you're looking for churches where you should be and maybe not be. Come to something like this. Find out. Um, so let us know if you can just so we can make sure to have enough food. That's going to be next Sunday right after worship downstairs in one of the classrooms. Would love for many of you to be there. Uh, next slide as well. We've got our anniversary coming up in a, a few weeks on September 13th. We're going to be having a picnic that day. Great, great stuff. We're also going to be having baptisms that day. So if you are um, maybe you are coming to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe as part of this church. Maybe you've already walked with Jesus, but you haven't been baptized as a believer yet. We're going to be doing baptisms at our church on September 13th. If you're interested in this, let us know through a connection card, or you can talk to one of the elders or myself. Um, you know, we would love to talk to you about what baptism means and uh, invite you to be part of that. It's one of the biggest celebrations we have at our church, so it's going to be a fun time. And final quick announcement. Uh, we've been announcing this for a little bit, but we've got next slide, guys. We've got our fall retreat coming on October 2nd and 3rd. Um, Pastor Doug Logan from, from Epiphany Church Camden will be our guest speaker. Just 
This man loves Jesus, and he's a little bit crazy, which is always a great combination. Um, so he's going to be our guest speaker. It's going to be at Potomac Park Retreat Center, which is right on the other side of West Virginia border. As I say that, don't think like West Virginia. It's, it's right there. It's not that far. Um, if you're going to be coming overnight Friday through Saturday, uh, we're gonna, the registration fee is $65. That includes all lodging and meals. We also have a special rate for just Saturday. We're going to have a few worship sessions that day. We know some of you, especially maybe you have little kids, Sleeping over might be difficult. We want to still invite you to come. We're going to have children's program. We're going to have stuff going on Saturday. Um, we're planning to end around dinner time, so it's not a whole long day thing. Come out, uh, $20 just for Saturday. So uh, we would love for you to start registering. I think in the bulletin's information how you can register through um, online, or you can let, let us know through a connection card. And we would love for you to put this in your calendar to be for this special event here. And again, read the bulletins. A lot of stuff we didn't talk about. A lot of stuff's going on here. A lot of fun things as God makes himself known. Um, we're doing this series through Philippians. And actually next week will be a final one through the book of Philippians. This letter that this man Paul wrote. Uh, looking at this idea of Christ being our joy. So let's just write, jump right into it from chapter 4. So in verse 2. And if you have a Bible, you can pick it up. Or I think it's up on the screen. It's page 842. But Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, we ask for your guidance right now. Lord, we know that in some sense we're holding a book in our hands or we're looking at these words. But we know that they're much more than just some words on a page, but they're infused in your spirit. And we pray that as many people are sitting in this one room, do that miraculous thing where you take one message and you speak to us exactly as we need to hear that we might follow you more with joy, receiving your grace. So help us, Holy Spirit, right now as we seek you. We need you. We're desperate for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, um, I, I'm, <laughs> this probably just reflects who I am. I actually get really encouraged how this little passage that Paul we're looking at today starts out where he's entreating. Entreating is a really polite word. Um, basically, he's calling out these two women, Yodia and Sintichi, um, to agree. Why I get encouraged by that is like, man, even Paul, even a church that is great, like the one he's writing to here, he had people beefing in the church. That's basically what it means. Two of his leaders, these two women, they're beefing with each other. They don't, they're having some kind of conflict. We don't know every detail. And that kind of encourages me because it says, ah, oh, it's not just our church. <laughs> you know, because you think sometimes, oh, yeah, the people in the Bible, they never struggled with the things we do. But they got two women here who are leaders. And, and man, they get their names mentioned in this letter for, like, all eternity. Isn't that crazy? Um, but we ask, why would Paul include this here? 
I think it's as simple as if all that he's been writing up to this point from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way up to this point, beginning of chapter 4, if all this is true, if all that he's talking about Jesus and what that means for us, if this is true, hey, church, it's got to start right with the relationships we've got right here. There's no way this is going to be relevant for people out there. There's no way we can take this somewhere if it doesn't start right here in our love for one another. I can almost imagine saying, hey, remember back like when I was writing chapter two and there were no chapters then, but back then, and I talked about being in one accord and love. That, that's what I'm talking about here. Be of one mind. So Euodia and Sintichi agree in the Lord. He, he's saying it's got to start here, have to reconcile. And in verse three, he asked the rest of the church to help them out, to work on this together. And the thing is, for me personally, when I've always read this passage, now I've read this, read, read this letter in the past, I always looked at these two verses, verses 2 and 3. It's kind of separate from the rest. I, I thought it was just kind of awkward wording. Like, why does he call out these two women? And then he gets into the rest of the meat of the, the letter, uh, which is a fairly well-known passage. But, but with the benefit of being able to study it a little bit more for these messages here, I, I, I believe it's actually really purposeful placement. Um, because like our whole series has been reminding us, one of the big themes of Philippians is this idea of joy, that in Christ is found great joy. So when we read in verse four about rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. Paul makes this point really clear. Hey guys, this is a commandment. You need to rejoice. And and in case you think I'm like stuttering or you didn't hear me correctly the first time, I'm going to repeat it. Rejoice, rejoice. Because it's natural to read this command with certain conditions and say, uh, okay, Paul, rejoice. Oh, but I had a really bad, no, 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 rejoice. Oh, but man, my, my family is like crazy. No, 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 rejoice. Oh, we've had real financial. No, 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 rejoice. Man, the sickness. No, 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 still rejoice. There's no conditions here. It's, it's in all situations. Rejoice always, always, even when you're beefing with another person. <laughs> Even when you've got conflict with another person, even when you're going to worship and you see them sitting across the room and you're like, oh, why'd they come today? I don't like them right now. They've been talking bad about me. Even when you've got that conflict with someone, yet you will still rejoice. You guys see what Paul did there? He's talking about he's giving a situation where we might not be prone to rejoice and still in this situation as well, rejoice. And church, we need to hear this. We need to hear this because, again, I'm going to start ranting. And if you don't like ranters, you're probably not going to like our church. But, but, I mean, so much of what passes for Christian faith nowadays, I mean, I think it's like this weak sauce, kind of self-helpy, like um, weepy, kind of power of positive thinking kind of thing, right? Like that's a lot of when you talk about what Christianity, it's kind of this, um, oh, you can make yourself better. You know, you can just, just feel, you just need to wake up on the right side of the bed and just feel positive about what God is doing. So it's like you get these weird statements and they're usually on things like coffee mugs or something, but like when God closes a door, he opens a window. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> What's that mean? That, that has absolutely no meaning for, for me. I, I think what they're trying to say is the basic mentality. You know what? Stop being so negative. Um, just count your blessings when, gosh darn it, when things are rough, just think about all the good things going on in your life and rejoice. Um, but the thing is, when Paul talks about rejoicing here, church, he's not just telling them to act happy. He's 
He's not telling them, guys, rejoice when everything in life is just dope. Rejoice when everything is just going well. Rejoice when you've got all the reasons to give God praise. Because Paul, he lives in the real world. Remember where he's writing this from. He's, he's penning this letter from prison. I mean, this is real. When Paul's talking about rejoicing, he's not sitting on the beach somewhere. Oh, yeah, life is good. I'm going to be riding my homies back. In. Oh, yeah, rejoice, guys. Because, man, it's all good, right? He's sitting in a jail. And yet he says, writes to these people he's raised up, come on, guys, rejoice in all circumstances, always. He's not saying, find all the ways you've been blessed, count them all up, look for them all, journal it all. Okay, now if you have enough, now rejoice. He's saying, rejoice even when you may have absolutely no human reason to rejoice. That's what always means. (laughs) When you might have nothing in your life going well that anyone would tell you, yeah, you know, you should be giving God praise. When you've got people saying, oh, man, did you, like, do some really bad stuff that no one knows about? Because your life is, oof, it's getting kind of bad right now. You sure God's not punishing you? (laughs) When you're there, Paul would say, yeah, rejoice. And if you're like me, um, I would guess that some of you right now, you're feeling helpless because you're thinking, oh, man, this pastor, this preacher, he's one of those idealistic, totally phony, just telling us to put on a smiley, happy face, even if life is cruddy and, and to be, you know, shiny, happy kind of Christian types. Oh, this is one of those. We're going to start jumping up and down and, you know, will ourselves to feel good. And um, I mean, if you feel helpless, I, I feel helpless. How do we do that? Because I don't feel like rejoicing in all situations. I, mean, I got I got I got little kids. So sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm waking up like four in the morning. I don't feel like rejoicing at that moment. How do we do it? Verse five tells us, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How do you rejoice in all things? Look to your reasonableness. I never even knew that was a word until I read it here. Look to your reasonableness. And maybe you're like, okay, um, still not really helpful. Because <laughs> um, when things are all collapsing around me, I don't feel that reasonable (laughs) when things are not. I mean, I look at my own life. It does not take that much for me to stop feeling reasonable. I mean, the checkout person at Taco Bell can get my order wrong and I will not feel reasonable at all. I'm going to feel kind of angry, but we have to recognize the kind of reasonable that Paul talks about here. It's never based on circumstances. He's not saying be reasonable when everything's going well. He's saying, be reasonable. Why? You see right afterwards, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Guys, how can we possibly rejoice in all circumstances? Only because we know that even in the worst of circumstances, the Lord is at hand. God is present in all things. And I, I don't know if any of you are, and maybe you're coming in, you're like, man, we picked the wrong Sunday to come because I was ready for like an inspirational message because I feel great. <laughs> Beginning of school, I'm all excited. I've never loved Jesus more. Hang with us, hang with us because there's others in this room are like, man, I don't know if we're going to make it to tomorrow. <laughs> I really don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, and, and maybe we need to hear this word because we're reminded throughout scripture that this world, as broken as it might be, everything, it's all God's. God made it. He created, he designed it, he's orchestrated it. I love uh, verses like Deuteronomy 10, 14, where it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Basically, 
he just covered everything. He says, heavens, earth, everything in earth, it's all mine. It's all mine. Um, and, and again, some of you, maybe you, you work in the fields of science and you've been conflicted because you're like, man, I really dig God, but I'm also a scientist and I believe in science. And man, church has always been a hard place because I can't reconcile the two. I actually, I'm, I'm not a scientist. You, you, you can ask my wife about that. I'm, I, I make some really bad things at home that no scientist would do. Um, the thing about it, I, the little that I've studied, I see more and more what I, the way I see how God has made the world, how God has made us. I used to have a professor in seminary. He was, used to be an um, astrophysicist before he became a pastor, before he became a professor. And he would give us studies of how, like, if things were off just, like, a tiny minutia of a, of a centimeter or a degree, the whole thing would collapse. Like, the whole world would not be able to stand it. It's, it's like, if you look at the intricacy, and the, it's, like, amazing that this is working. It's amazing that we're all sitting here and our bodies are still, it's like absolutely amazing. The more I study about God, the more I see, wow, I, and, and science, I, I see it reconciled. I see God's using it. God is amazing. God is absolutely amazing. What it takes to sustain life, God is in supreme control. God is in control. And, and we need to be mindful then of who God is, that he is in control of all things. And correspondingly, who you and I are in light of that. So the goal is not for us to talk about how great we are. The goal is to talk about how God great, how great God is. And in light of that, then how do we respond? Because um, for a lot of us, so much of our life is spent learning how to control life. And what I mean by that is, in a good way, you learn as you're growing up, normal human development, you learn how to take care of stuff. You learn how to take care of yourself, and if a child doesn't do that, there's going to be some issues there, right? They can't have someone take care of them the whole life, so that's a normal part of development, and, and it's good. But the challenge of this good thing of developing like that, of being in control, is that it can lead to an overinflated perspective of ourself where we learn to be very capable. We learn to be very much in control to the point that we don't really need anyone else to survive. We're good. And for some of us, receiving help is really difficult. For some of us to say, I need help, for some of us to say, I'm broken, is a really difficult thing because we've always been taught to be in control. But guys, if if you're like me and if you're like a lot of people in our church, um, there are some things that happen in life that you are just not prepared for. No matter how well educated you are, no matter how well you've gotten your body in certain shape, no matter how well you've studied, no matter how well you've set yourself up financially, no matter how, you can do all of these things and there are just some things that happen in life that will just crush you no matter how prepared you feel you are. Um, There are just some stuff that happens which you feel like you will not be able to handle. Like if you're like me, you feel like, you feel like you don't have the brain matter to be able to wrap your minds around some of the stuff that happens. Now, have you ever been there where some things are happening? You just don't know where, even what step to take. It's like, I feel just crushed. I don't know what to do. And, and again, we, we, we see this in our church all the time. Just, um, I mean, I love ministry. Um, in some ways, I feel as God is developing our church, I'm starting, maybe it's age. I'm starting to feel almost like more like a dad in our church. Um, but as a dad, you look at, and you just, your heart aches for people when they're going through stuff. And I, I feel that more and more. 
Because some of the stories you guys tell me of your struggles day to day, I mean, I hurt with you. And it's real. And, and, and some of the stuff, I mean, some of the stuff from even past days of ministry, even before our church. Um, I mean, what, what do you do on those stories when you hear someone in your church has been murdered, as I did back in Philadelphia? Just in a psychotic episode where their, their aunt just, just murdered the niece. This young woman in her 20s in our church. What do you do with that? I mean, I don't have the answers. I mean, I, I love the Bible, and I, I think I've studied. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you say to that. I, I don't know what you say to families who get torn apart. I, I don't know what you say to cases of abuse. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say when people lose someone suddenly. I, I don't. I, I wish I did. I mean, I wish there was a class on that in seminary. Smart things to say to someone who's going through. I, mean, I wish there were, but there's not. There's some stuff that we were just not created to be able to understand with the limited brain matter that we have. And, and I'm going to suggest that it's in those dramatic kind of moments, but also, guys, not just those real dramatic, but also in the day-to-day kind of challenges that you and I face, that the only hope we have in some of those things when we say, I don't know what to do with this, is to look at God. Look at God in the way that the prophet Jeremiah speaks about him in chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Check this, guys. Is anything too hard for me? God's saying that basically God, is anything too hard for me? Sometimes we need to look to that kind of God when there are things that are too hard for us. When we're going through things to say, I have not, I mean, I'm well-educated, I'm smart, I'm a survivor, but I don't know how to take care of this. In those moments, you need to be able to lift your eyes up to a God that says right back to you, is anything too hard for me? I got this. If I made all this stuff, you think I don't got this? That when everything else that we've placed our foundation in crumbles, knowing that God is who he says he is. He doesn't waver on who he is, that nothing's too hard for him. His love and his sovereignty are real. That when every single shred of my mind wants to give up in despair, only the knowledge that nothing is too big for God gives me hope. And and that's what allows the person who's found deeply in Jesus Christ to be reasonable. So we're going back to feeling reasonable, right? Verse 5, because the Lord is near. How can we dare say we can be reasonable? Because the Lord is near. And as much as those trials, as much as the things you're going through, as much as the relational challenges you're going through, financial worries you're going through, physical issues, family breakups, as much as those things are just making you go, I have no, I don't know what to do with this. As much as it throws you and I for a loop, God is not surprised or shocked. He's not caught off guard. He's not like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I created this whole heavens and the earth and the mountains and the beach and all the animals and bears. And I know I did all that, but I have no idea what to do about that. I mean, is, is that really who God is? He's this much in control. But when it comes to the stuff in our life, he's like, oh, man, you're on your own bat. It, 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 because God. And so too many of us, we need to get away from this mentality. Some of us view God as like the National Guard. Like we just, um, I don't know, celebrated is the right word. Remembered anniversary of Katrina, right? And remember that? Like after the destruction, then the National Guard came in to kind of clean everything up. 
Some of us, that's the way we view God. Like, we're just living life. We're doing stuff. We're taking care of it. We're on our own. We're trying our best. We're working hard. Oh, man, I just pooped the whole thing. Come on, God. Come, come, come and clean it up. And, and, and we, we, we forget this idea. God is not just, like, looking back and kind of comes in to clean up the mess. He's been walking with us the whole time. He's in control. He knows exactly what's going on. And that's the understanding of God, which allows us to rejoice. Again, we go back to rejoice, right? Even in the hardest faith-crushing moments. Because I want to be really clear what I'm not talking about here. And I've heard sermons like this, so I know this is not just hypothetical. It's real. Um, I'm not saying, yeah, guys, we believe in a really powerful, sovereign God. He knows everything. He's all in control. So I know you're going through hard stuff right now, but come on, just smile. God's in control. He knows. He's got a plan. Stop crying. I don't, you don't have to cry. God, God knows what he's doing. It's all in control. Because um, I don't think God is honored when we're happy about horrible things. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> I don't think God is honored when we just kind of put on a smile and say, oh, yeah, God is, God, you know, he created also. He must know exactly what's going on. It's okay to look at some stuff and say, I don't know how to process this. I don't know what to tell her. This is really crushing me right now. I am helpless right now. God, I have no idea where we're going with this. God, I don't know if how tomorrow is going to work. It's okay to say that because in our weakness, then we cry out for God who does know when you and I do not. And what that means is when people come to you, and I hope that this continues to be a mark for our church, when people come to you with stuff that's just really hard in life, we don't give simple, pat answers. We don't just say, God is in control. Buck up. We can sit and weep with people. We can hurt. We can have our hearts ache because we know that the world is not all that it was meant to be. It was created perfectly. Sin entered and jacked it all up. But we've got a hero who has a plan. But we walk with people in the midst of hurt and tragic things. Because I think God is glorified and he's honored when even in the most painful of our circumstances, we're able to cry out to him. Even when we've got nothing left to hold on to, even when we have nothing else to put our hope in, when everything that we have put our hope in has crumbled, in those moments we're able to cry out to God and say, God, who else do do we have but you? Who are we going to turn to? You're all that we have. And, and I think then, if, if knowing that this is who God is, it paints the prayer described in verses 6 and 7 in a different light. Again, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because you need to know the people that Paul is writing to in those ancient days of pagan people, there was much anxiety. Because you know how you were anxious? When you worship like a gagillion number, I don't even know this number, like a lot of gods. If you had a lot of, I'm just making up words, right? You had a lot of deities, and you have so many deities that you're just walking around in eggshells all the time because you have no idea what's making each one of them happy. So you are just anxious all the time. You don't know if you're saying the right words. You don't know if you're doing it the right way because there's so many of them. You can't keep it straight. In a world where anxiety is common and normal, this God who has been revealed in Jesus is far different than them. Rather than the fear that was traditionally attached to uh, improper things with their deities, this God, he, he wants to know everything. 
He wants us to actually be honest with him. And, and some of us, I've, I've heard this even from sometimes people in our church um, who will say, you know what? You shouldn't pray about little things. There are so many bigger problems in the world. You shouldn't pray about, like, your grades. That's so lame. Oh, you should definitely not pray about the Ravens winning. I know a lot of people pray about stuff like that, right? Don't pray about dumb stuff. Yeah, well, don't, don't spend prayer on yourself. When people are like, starving around the world and there's wars going on and genocide, man, isn't that so selfish to pray about yourself? Um, but I think what we're looking at here seems to suggest that actually God does care. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if he cares about the Ravens winning or not. But it doesn't mean we don't pray it. Because <laughs> God seems to say, bring everything to me. Pray to me. I love this quote that's been going around recently. It's been out for a little bit. But um, I think Tim Keller said it, that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock a.m. for a glass of water is his child. I love that. This idea, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock a.m. for a glass of water is his child. This idea, yes, God is mighty. Yes, God is powerful. Yes, he's in all control. Yes, he should be feared in a healthy way. But if you're his kid, you have the access to be able to go to him, pull on the covers at 3 in the morning, say, I'm thirsty, Dad. And he'll get you some water because he loves you. The neighbor better not come do that. Mr. Joe down the street better not come to it. But the kid can because there's a relationship there. And in Christ, we have that kind of access to God, and it honors him when we bring everything we have on our hearts. And verses 8 through 9 here reminds me that this kind of maturity, it's something that's developed in us. Um, If you're feeling like, man, I don't have that, that's normal because I don't think this happens overnight. It reminds us that joy, the kind of joy we're talking about, it's something that you got to fight for. I don't think it just happens because one day you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now I'm joyful. I think it's, it's something you got to fight for. And we look at here, right? Finally, brothers, what, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and he goes on, and he says, think about these things. It seems to suggest this is an active pro- practice. It doesn't just kind of happen because you want it to. And that's why we do what we do as a church. That's why we gather like this in, su- in singing. That's why we do the worship thing. That's why we say get together in groups and study the Bible and break bread. And that's why we say serve. And that's why we say we do all these things. Um, not just when we feel like it. You really got to wrench out it. Not just when we feel like doing those things, but probably more when we actually don't feel like doing them. That we go worship when we don't feel like it. We go study the Bible together when we don't feel like it. We give when we don't feel like it. We serve when we don't feel like it. Because we have to preach the gospel to one another that's not just about how we feel about things, but it's the reality of who God is. And we preach to one another the truth of who God is. We preach to one another that God is big. He's in control. Even in situations that I know for many of you right now have got your brain in these knots. You don't know how to process it. You're full of fear. You're angry. You're confused. You're wondering if there's even a God. You're wondering if there is a God, why would he do stuff like this? And, you know, I I was thinking of this really theological thought, but there's this movie called Rudy um, (laughs) about Notre Dame, right? I love this one line from Father Kavanaugh, who's giving Rudy some advice. And he says to Rudy, who's going through some challenges, Son, 
In 35 years of religious study, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I'm going to say this to you. God may not answer certain things in your life. I'm not saying don't pray them. You should pray everything. But it doesn't necessarily mean God is going to answer every single thing, even if you are the most sincere person in your prayer. And I, I think some of you need to hear that word because you've listened to really unbiblical counsel in your life and you've prayed hard for stuff and it hasn't happened. And you've either thought, um, man, my faith must not have been big enough. I must just not have believed enough. Or man, God must hate me because I've done some stuff in my past or I've done something yesterday. So that's why this didn't happen because I prayed real hard. And again, I I know I get paid the big bucks to be able to give all the answers, but (laughs) that's a joke, just in case you're, (laughs) I I ain't getting rich off y'all, just just for you to know. I don't know why some things happen. I don't know why other things don't. I I, I wish I did. And um, what what I do know is this. God will not let go of those who are his in Christ. If you come to me with your deepest heartache, the different challenges you're going through, um, I've kind of grown as a pastor. I don't promise anymore that God is going to do something with it. I I don't. Because I don't know. I think it would be evil for me to promise that. But the one thing I can promise with all my heart is if you are his, he will not let you go. Even through the hardest thing you might be going through right now even though you're going through the thing that is challenging every fabric of your faith, even if it's like one thread, if God has got you, he will not let you go. So the question, I think it begs the question, and for all of us as we're sitting here, um, how is God using all these things in your life, even your greatest hardships, how is he using those things to draw you closer to him? How is he using these things to help you to know and to need him in deeper ways? How is he trying to bring you to that place in your life that you would be able to say that even if you were to have nothing else, even if you were to lose everything, that you still get God and he's enough? Because I would say ultimately that's the place where God is trying to grow us all to. Not that he's going to take stuff away. Listen to me carefully. I don't think that God promises he's going to take everything away. But for your heart to be in a place where even if you were to lose everything that's dear to you, you would be weeping like Job, tearing clothes, but yet still say, I have God, and he's enough. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to say it through my tears, but I can say it, that God is enough. You get him, and he's enough. So let me ask you to stand with me. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and lead us through some songs. And even as we mentioned earlier, um, to respond to this God, singing not just about him, but singing to him. And again, I, I, I might just be totally off, and I'm, I'm going to think maybe some of you are sitting in this room and everything in life, it could not be better. Like life is about as good as you can imagine it. If you could write up how life should be, you, would, you say, I am in the place I should be. I'm in the city I should be. I'm with the people I should be. My family is exactly the way it should be. I'm making more money than I need. My cl- I look good. I mean, everything is exactly the way it should be. Maybe that's like some of you. 
But if you're like most of our church, you're probably sitting here and there's a lot of doubt in your heart about the goodness of God or who he means to you, what it means to worship him, even in all circumstances. How do I rejoice? Know that he is near. Know that he is with you. And as we sing, um, I want to be really clear about this. I don't think there's like a more spiritual way to sing. You know, some people, some churches get really into, you got to look a certain posture or you got to, I don't think there is, but I I do think there's something um, physically in our, in our posture that reflects stuff. Personally, I love to raise my hands when I pray to God. And I don't know what you think I'm doing when I do it. It's not to look more holy. I don't think it looks, I think it actually looks kind of weird to do that. I'm I'm pretty self-conscious, right? I know I'm like in front of people. For me, what I think of are my little kids. They're, they're a little different now. I, rem- I remember them when they're like one, maybe two years old, and they're kind of learning to walk and stuff, and, and they don't fully know how to communicate stuff yet because at a certain point, kids, they get to a point where they're so frustrated, they don't know how to voice it with their words. All they do is lift their hands and go, ah! They're saying, the pick me up! Help me! Grab me! I don't know what to do with this! You know better! You're bigger than me! And for me, that's what I do when I'm raising my hands to God. I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. I need you. I need you. And I encourage you, if that's your heart, if that's where you are right now, maybe don't, don't worry about what everyone else around you is thinking. Maybe lift your hands to God. Say, God, I'm like that little kid. I need you. Life is too big for me right now. And let's respond to the Lord and to his word. We have the table up here. And as part of your response, if you're a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to come up and receive the Lord's Supper. Take a piece of the wafer from the middle. Remember the broken body of Jesus. That we, when we need evidence of God being in control, that he knows what he's doing, all we have to do is look at the cross. Because in the cross, it looked like everything went to hell, literally. It looked like the whole plan went to mush. But God was in control. He knew what he was doing. And we remember the broken body of Christ and dip it in the cup. Come up from both sides, dip it in the cup. And remember the shed blood of Christ that tells us we can be free, that forgives us of our sin. And rejoice in that. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to say to you today, maybe maybe God's trying to give you a word to tell you, stop trying on your own and depend on me. Stop trying to be so competent. Stop trying to be so capable. And just say, I don't have it together. I need help. I need Jesus. So Lord, we ask that you would guide us into your presence right now as we sing to you, asking for help. And some of us are desperate, Lord. We're right there. It's not that we're even holding on to you. We know you're the one holding on to us. Keep holding us, Lord. Remind us that though we might lose everything, if we're in you, we don't lose you. Help us, Lord. Bring comfort in this place. Bring compassion in this place, Lord. Bring worship in this place, Lord, as we seek you together. So let's respond to the word.